Welcome once again to the Propreneur Podcast, where we help practice owners become better entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Dino Watt. And welcome once again to the Propreneur Podcast. Thank you everyone for being here. I'm excited to have you listening in today. My name is Dino Watt. I'm your host as always. And today, Today, we have another professional on the podcast. You know, as we do the Propreneur Podcast, we always like to split it up between what we call our experts, which are the people who typically have some sort of product or invention that they have. And then we have our professionals, who are the ones who really have their hands dirty every single day in the business space. And as you're listening to this today, you're going to get a big dose of amazingness from our guest today, who is Kelly, Dr. Kelly Gianetti, who's going to talk to us about how we can sacrifice some of our patient time in order to sharpen the saw and have a better practice. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kelly. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Dino. Absolutely. We're excited to have you. And, you know, on our show, one of the things that we like to do is always talk about the best practices that our doctors are finding or that our owners are finding. And that way, the people listening into the car, in the car, have some ideas they can immediately take into their business with them. And that's the stuff that we're going to dig into today. And before we do that, we want to talk about if you are listening to the show, please make sure if you haven't subscribed already to do so. And if you haven't shared it with a friend or a colleague, make sure you do that as well. This show, I'm so grateful, is growing by leaps and bounds. Literally every month over the last three months, we have gained double the subscribers we had the month before. So, so excited to have you listening in. And as you listen in, if you're not in your car, please remember to take notes. Take notes so you can remember all the great stuff that Dr. Gianetti is going to tell us today. So, Dr. Gianetti, one of the things that I love to do is first is to find out your story. I think that's the most important part of this conversation is really getting to know why'd you get into this crazy world of dentistry and orthodontics? What was the catalyst to that? And then uh, your, your journey, if you will. So please take it away. Um, so I actually grew up in central California mm. and um, half my time there and my other half of my time I spent in South Central Nevada off oh. the grid. And I always wanted to be a veterinarian um, because I was always around animals and I loved animals and I also liked science and medicine. And so I actually went to UC Davis to be a veterinarian. And um, I actually live in Davis now. So I came here for college and I've actually never, never left. left. <laughs> uh, it's a great town. And um, it is like a preeminent veterinary school, which is why I decided to come here. And up until my senior year of college, I was working at the vet school. I was working in the primate lab. I I was doing research. I mean, I was vet all the way. This This sounds like my oldest daughter's dream right here, by the way. This is, she would love to do this. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was just really I'm really goal oriented. So I had made that goal for myself and I was going to attain it. Yeah. And I was in a, a lab where one of my, the researcher that I worked for, he developed, um, you know, he was testing cats that had heart disease and I had to put a cat to sleep. Huh. It was the first time I had to put an animal to sleep uh. and it was the most horrible day of my entire life. And I remember coming home to my boyfriend, who's now my husband, and just crying and being like, oh, my dream is shattered because, you know, the doctor I work for basically looked at me and said, if you can't do this, you shouldn't be a vet. 
this is what vets do all day long wow. is put animals to sleep. Right. Wow. So I was like, okay, well now what am I going to do? You know, I mean, it was, everything was just turned really upside down. Upside wow. down for me. Wow. And um, I actually really liked my family dentist. So I talked to him about doing dentistry and um, even though I liked him and he was good, I really didn't, I didn't have an affinity towards general dentistry, but I was like, oh, hey, you know, dentistry sounds like a great career. But, you know, I really, I spent most of my childhood in orthodontics. And it, it's funny because, you know, I listen to other people on your show, like podcasts, and they talk about this and um, they say they were inspired by their orthodontist. And I was actually inspired by my orthodontist in a different way hmm. because I did not like my orthodontist. Oh, I disliked him. Intensely. Yeah. It was a very negative experience. Bad experience. Yeah. Very bad experience. I could tell you how many ways it was a bad experience, but for me, that wow. motivated me. Like I want to be an orthodontist because I know that this could be an awesome experience. Mm. This could have like such a positive impact on teenagers and kids in their formative years and there's no reason for this to be a negative experience so when I decided I was going to dental school I was going to be an orthodontist that's what I had decided why I was going to dental school mm. and fortunately it worked out right because you know what a, what a great perspective right? Right? no I love it I love that's a great perspective right that you are coming from that place of it's funny, I tell people often, obviously I tell my story on stage about my parents' divorce and stuff like that and how that got me really intrigued about relationships. And I, then I, behind that, talk about, and I'm so grateful, right? Like yeah. I'm, I'm not bitter or anything. I'm grateful because they taught me what not to do. And yeah. so you're coming from that place of the patient experience, truly that patient experience of not positive. I, I bet that is just the through line of everything you do now inside of your practice. And wanting to make sure your team members are treating them a certain way and the experiences. That's awesome. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, wonder, I'm wondering though, uh, going back a little bit, if we don't rename this podcast, if you can't put them down, you shouldn't do it. Maybe that should be the name of the podcast. Right. <laughs> <You can't. laughs> oh, especially advice. when it comes to animal medicine. <laughs> That's right. Well, we won't let people know that they'll be like, what are they talking about? Why do we want to put our patients down? That'd be great. <laughs> Uh, I have a couple of questions off of that. Number one, um, thank you for sharing that story about the putting them down because we, we put down our, our Lassie uh, two years ago and it was one of those things where we, my daughter, who I said would love to do veterinarian stuff. She's a horse and animal lover. Um, that was a different experience and difficult experience for her to be like, Ooh, I don't, I don't know if I want to do that. Yeah. To be that person. So very similar there. I have to ask though, because you dropped this little bomb and we didn't go into it, but living off the grid, what do you mean? What did you do? We have property in Nevada and it's actually uh -huh. in the middle of the national forest between um, Reno and Vegas uh -huh. in the monitor range there. And um, we had no, I mean, we were using an outhouse. My dad one year thought it was like a good gift to give me and he bought me a <laughs> a washing machine from 1920 that didn't oh, require electricity. You know, the kind with the rollers. Yes. yeah. I yes. I that. had that wow. in 1982. Wow. Yeah. We did crazy. it. We had to carry water from buckets in to do the dishes. 
And like he like Little this. House on the Prairie style here. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> and I think it was like my dad's fantasy. And for me as a kid, it was like the worst nightmare ever. But, um, you know, it was a great learning experience. And we still have the property. So I take my kids out there. Oh. And it's a way for me to get them off the grid, you know, sure, and they sure. actually love it out there. Mm -hmm. And it's a time that, you know, you have to just be together. Yeah. Because you're not, you can't talk on the phone. You can't be with your friends via awesome. Twitter, you know, so. I um, could totally see that in a, like a weekend or maybe a week long thing or whatever. It's, it's so interesting about this, Kelly. I, um, for a period of time, about two years, we lived in a, five by 10 foot trailer with no running water. Uh, the only electricity we had was the extension cord from the guy next door in the middle of the high desert of California. And we had an outhouse because when they first dug the sewer little hole without actually being proper, the, the cockroaches came very quickly. So we like, well, I guess we should get an outhouse. So I totally am there with you. I know that world. <laughs> but here's my question for you. This is so not on topic, but here's my question for you. Do you like or dislike camping now? Um, I definitely, I like being outdoors, but I have been called a glam camper. Yes, high five that one. <laughs> that is totally me. And I love where, being outdoors, which yes. is when we go to our property, it's all about the outdoors. Yeah. Yeah. I love riding motorcycles. I oh, love coming fun. home covered in dirt and mud, but I also want to come home and like make a martini, you know? That's right. And, so, and, and a warm bath and, and a warm, right. a couch to sit on, not the right. ground, right? Oh, yeah. okay. So we're so there. Yeah, that's me too. I, I think it's that experience is that because people are like, why do you like camping? Because I did it in a right. awful situation for years. I yes. <laughs> We, so we are nomadic. Many, many of the listeners know this, that we're nomadic. We live in actually a 40-foot trailer that we travel around the country in. We don't have one specific area. And so right now I'm recording in my, my uh, area that I, I do that. And so people are like, well, you're camping now. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm oh, that's so cool. It's like literally like a house on wheels. Right, <laughs> exactly. It's not even close. <laughs> my, my bed here is comfor more comfortable than the bed I had in my house for 13 years. Like it, yeah. I'm telling you. So anyways. All right, so now onto real topics. <laughs> this is what I love though. Part of the show is really getting to know you as a person and knowing that we all have these life experiences that are um, shaping us in, in one way yeah. or another. And I'm sure there are people out there who are listening, can relate to having an orthodontist who wasn't the greatest and so made you go, you know what, I'm gonna be different. What are some of the, if there's any specific areas where you, uh, like recognize right off the top that I'm doing this different than what I got. Um, talking to my patients. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Um, Novel. Not uh, making my, I remember waiting in the super dark and dank waiting room for hours. At least, I mean, hours. Yeah. And then getting in there and it just being sort of this, you know, assembly, like, you, it doesn't just, matter you if we're hurting you, if it doesn't yeah. hurt, you know, just, you know, blah, 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 get it done. And then out the door. No, I don't even, I know that the same girl always worked on me, but I don't know her name. Yeah. Because even his assistants never engaged with me. Wow. It was part of the culture. Yeah. It was just part of the culture. 
And I don't know if it was, you know, maybe I was a weird kid or like I, I gave off like a weird vibe and they thought like, you know, but really it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Just one of the things I tell my staff is like, you, you don't know what that person is going through. You don't know what that parent has just experienced before they walk in the door. You don't know what experience they've had another provider. You need to Absolutely. not make assumptions about anybody and treat everybody the same. And absolutely, you know, so like one of the things in my practice, I know a lot of people know everybody in their practice in terms of what they do for a living and who knows who and blah, blah, blah. And with the exception of some very high profile people in my practice, you have, you can't help but know what they do because, you know, they're the speaker of the house or something like that. But I don't, I make it a point. And I hope I don't sound disinterested in them, but I make a point to know them as a person, but I don't know what they do for a living. And I don't care what they do for a living because I don't want to subconsciously bias the way that I treat my patients. So true. It's a really great point, Kelly, that I think that more people need to think about is there. I know it's out of good intention, right? Of like, well, no, that says that people will buy from people they know, like, and trust. And part of trust is to get to know more about them. That's totally true. But it's about getting to know them, not necessarily what they do. Asking questions that go deeper than just, hi, how are you? How's your day? How's your summer? like really getting into know them. So I think that's actually really brilliant. And as we talked about in the pre-show and that we're going to be talking about in just a moment, you know, your real big focus right now is, is communication is making sure that communication is open. And that's a part of that. Asking questions right. is a part a huge part of communication, letting people mm-hmm. know that you're interested in them. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's really, really cool. Uh, I, I wanted to ask, do you remember, I don't know if your office had this, but my orthodox office had, the door like we had the front desk but it was the door to go into the back or did you actually have it open no it, the one that i went to as a kid yeah it was yeah. a door it was right. closed off like you would yeah. literally were in a closet while you waited that's yeah, it, what i felt like it's totally true and then that door and there's like your turn i always call it the executioner <laughs> was coming right it's like yeah you know and it's yeah. Like, oh, awesome. yeah and then the person at the front desk which was behind a glass window yes would like open the window and be like you can go in now and then right. shut the window and so you would get up and like open the door and walk into the clinic and it was just so weird I got to tell you, I actually, I'm glad it's not as much, but I see a lot of offices and there are still a few of them out there. Not a ton of the glass sliders, which there's a few of those still, but the door, right? Like we want to be cut off from the front. It's, it's fascinating. So, oh yeah. and again, communication, right? What are you communicating to your patients about how you want to interact with them and who you are compared to they, their experience? And right. It's so important. And so, communication <laughs> isn't always verbal, right? Absolutely. And that's one of my big things is the, uh, the body language part of it, right? When I go to an mm-hmm. office and I do my two day training, we don't even tell the team members that the first day I come, I come to observe. And I'm just watching what I'm watching for is their body language because I'm a body language, certified body language expert. And so the next day when I do the training, it's all about what I saw. And oh, it's, interesting. It's, it's, yeah, it's really great because they're off guard. Of course, I don't want to tell them why I'm coming because they're going to be all weird if they know I'm looking at their body language. Right. Uh, but yeah. So tell me then this, when you started your practice, what was that journey? And, and we can go through that part a little quickly of like, okay, so did you start as associate? Did you start your own practice right away? What did you do? I actually... 
I, I started as an associate, but I actually bought my practice and like signed an agreement before I even graduated. Oh my goodness. So really? I was, yeah. I was, um, you know how I told you earlier, I'm kind of like a goal oriented person. Yeah. I usually uh-huh. just go head first. Like I, Figure it I out. don't usually ask questions. It, I would have made less mistakes for sure. I definitely went to the school of hard knocks, but I, um, I've never really been afraid to make a decision. And once I've made a decision, like I'm all in. Mm-hmm. And um, so there was a woman who I had heard through my um, A company rep uh, that was, you know, maybe getting older and looking to sell a practice in Sacramento. And he knew I wanted to move back to Sacramento. And uh, my, my husband's family lives in Sacramento. And um, so, you know, I called her up and went out with her and she was actually the second orthodontist in the whole Sacramento area. Woman, wow. Like wow. woman. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was good. Like I really did want to purchase another woman's practice. And um, she was, you know, like two and a half days a week. And, um, and we just started talking and she's like, you know, I never really thought I wanted to retire, but you're here and you want to buy my practice. So why not? I mean, it was complete cold call and worked out. And so I was her associate. We had a five-year transition. Okay. So even though I had purchased the practice, I didn't become owner for, I think, two or three years. Yeah, some time um, to learn the ropes and learn how yeah. to run a business and stuff. Okay, good. And during that time, I only worked one day a week in that practice because it was only a two and a half day a week practice. So right. for three other days a week, I actually was an associate in other practices and mm-hmm. I would drive two hours to work each day. Wow. So like I lived in Davis and I'd go one day to Sacramento and I'd go one day to Modesto and I went one day to Alameda and I went one day to Roseville. And during that time was when I was really learning as much as I could about like how to run a practice, how to run a business, trying to, you know, how to do orthodontics and Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what I wanted my practice to be like, what I liked and what I didn't like about all of those practices that I went to. Um, And And it sounds like you're kind of the sponge type personality that you were just soaking up all of the information you could get good and bad right? at the different places you're going to. Uh, you had a library of information through those different practices. That you yes, were able to I did. Yeah, with. that's a good point. Wow, that's great. So tell me then out of that, uh, I want to get into kind of the best practices uh, part of the show. And so with that, though, I'd love to find out what were some of the things that stood out to you from seeing the other practices and in those five years that you went, Oh, I'm totally doing that. And you're still doing that in your practice today. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think the, uh, the communication piece Mm. with, with my patients and parents and um, dentists that, you know, you work with just, communicating and talking to people and not making assumptions. It's one of the things that I say to my staff all the time, like don't make an assumption and state what the obvious state, what you think is the obvious because to your patient, 
They don't do this every day. Yes. They don't do it all day long. They haven't been doing it for 20 years. To you and me, we think this is the obvious, mm-hmm. but to them it's not obvious, right? Love so it. It, it's just, you, you have to communicate. I love that. I actually just had a conversation with one of my clients about the, you know, when you're, when somebody's on the phone and they say, so this is what's going to happen. Doctor, you're going to come in. Doctor's going to do a full exam. And then we're going to do this. I was like, what's a full exam? Right. What does that mean? I, oh, am I going to get a rectal check? I mean, what, what's going on here? Like, this is a full exam. I want to get my teeth done. Right. <laughs> that, we right. got to know what this is and we got to be more, it's like kind of Brene Brown talks about in um, Daring to Lead, right? Where she talks about paint the picture, being willing to paint the picture for somebody of what exactly that looks like. What's the end of the project? What's the end of this, this uh, or yeah. what is the process you're going to go through? So yeah. I love that communication piece of really, what does that mean? Don't assume that they know what you're talking about. So important. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so in your practice, you are focusing a lot right now on the communication. How is that coming to fruition? We talked about uh, the, the title of the show being willing to sacrifice your patient time to sharpen that saw. What does that look like for you? And what are you doing that's different that the listener right now can actually take into their practice and at least marinate on the idea of maybe doing this? So it came about because uh, my business partner and myself and my director of operations, we were at a study club strategic planning meeting and I was complaining about how I spend all of these resources on creating systems and training people and everybody after the training says, yes, we got it and they do it for a month and then I find out six months later that nobody's doing it. And so I was complaining like, you know, you guys, I just don't want to do it anymore. Like, I don't want to, I'm not going to, why am I spending this money? Right. I mean, I could go to Hawaii. So how many people listening to this right now, I guarantee are sitting in their car, head up and down. Very, very frustrating. And, you know, I've been in private practice for 20 years. So this is an ongoing thing. And I could never figure it out. And I'd always been frustrated by it. And, So, you know, we were talking about it and then it just, you know, it came up like, you know, maybe we just need to, we need to keep re, re talking about it, re addressing it, you know, bringing it up, letting people talk it out. Remember how it takes somebody, you have to tell them something six times before they get it, you know, like advertising. It's just, you know, it's the same type of thing. So we thought, we went back and it, and it actually first started because I was really struggling with trying to figure out like, why is, why is my conversion rate falling in the last six mm-hmm. months? And my, I, we had promoted our previous treatment coordinator to director of operations. So she was no longer being the treatment coordinator. And mm-hmm. so we decided I had gone to a meeting and one of my colleagues said, you know, you should look at uh, videos of your exams with your treatment coordinator. And I was like, yeah, but you know, I don't know I've, every time I try and take a video of my exam, it's awkward. And then everybody knows you're taking a video of it. It's not really very authentic. And he's like, well, what about your security cameras? Aha. Oh, uh-huh. Right. So yep. I talked to my DO and she's like, Oh yeah, we could totally watch exams off security camera. So we did. So we had a meeting 
we came home from the study club and we had a meeting because I was like, you know, this is part of the systems that we've all been talking about. I'm like, I don't know when I leave the room, are they doing that system? Mm -hmm. Like, are they saying the things that we discuss? And so we had a meeting with every, I have three treatment coordinators. So all three of them, you know, my, my DO, myself and my business partner. And we made a point, everybody was nervous and all about it. And we said, we are going to pick an exam randomly off of the security camera. And we're going to pick an exam that each doctor does and one that each assistant does. And we're going to all sit and we're going to all talk about it. And we're going to all take it in because we think we could learn something from each other. And that one hour meeting, one hour, we only got through maybe two exams. Our conversion rate went up. It doubled. Yep. It went from 50, it went from like 45%, 48% that it was like the previous three months up to 85%. Yep. Just like that. Yep. And we were like, what? Okay. So we just had to have a meeting about it. Right. And that was the aha moment for us. Like all we have to do is we need to quit spending money and spend our time. And I I love this. I'm so grateful that that person said that to you because I am a huge advocate of videotaping everything and recording everything because when, so I, I I often ask too, in the same vein of the first phone call, right? The, The patient phone call, the intake form call um are you recording that not to catch them in anything but to have them re-listen to what they're saying i record everything i do so i can go back and listen to it and go like well why did i say it that way or i totally missed that question and i didn't answer it whatever it is yeah that to record that to use that video footage it is that is the sharpening of a saw and that is where we talk about you can the performance totally uh, can only change when performance is measured. And when you're watching those videotapes, the security cameras have that, there's no doubt in my mind that it did shoot up your, your conversion ratio because now you're paying attention to it. Well, yeah, and it would, you know, it would spark things like a patient would ask a question and then, you know, the, the TC would answer it, but then um, somebody else in the room, a different TC would be like, oh, well, I, you know, I would have said this, to that question. Yeah. And then the, you know, my business partner was like, well, yeah, I, I would have said, you know, for example, this, this is a much better answer because this is more of answering their question or it's more of what we really do. Yep. Um, and it's not about everybody trying to be better at sales. It's about everybody trying to be better at the experience for their patient and giving them the information that they're seeking. Right. That's right. That's great. And that's your job. Your job, uh, for the most part, I believe that there's two positions in any business. There's sales and sales support, right? And so you cannot grow a business without more cash coming in. So that's where their sales comes from. But the sales experience is should be educational. Like right. you said, give them the thing that they're seeking for, even if they don't know what they're seeking for. Give them the answers that they should be asking questions to. And then you become so valuable to them. Right. And so you're doing this. I, I so grateful if everybody listening right now doesn't go and pull their security footage and sit for an hour meeting with their TC and, and, and just show what's going on. And again, it's not, I'm assuming the way that you presented it, it wasn't about blame or complain. It was about, okay, what are we doing so we can have clarity on this and we can make it better. Right. 
I use the phrase, it's never right or wrong. It's only weak or strong. So you just made something that was weak, obviously at 40, 45% stronger by doing the exercise of just sitting and watching and talking and discussing and ah, so brilliant. So that then I'm assuming created yeah, so that a bit of a into, chain reaction. It did. It did. <laughs> so we actually decided to set aside every Wednesday morning for sharpening the saw and working on communication. So the first Wednesday of the month, we have a front office meeting, which is the treatment coordinators and scheduling coordinator. And then the second, um, and then we would, you know, throw in a video there. Um, and then the second Wednesday of the month, we do all of our clinical pe clinical team. Mm -hmm. And then the third Wednesday of the month, actually, we have a leadership meeting and we go to breakfast, which was, we just did this yesterday, myself, my business partner and our manager. And then to, we kind of talk about what was talked about at the previous two meetings with our mm -hmm. individual teams and then decide, okay, this is, you know, we are good with these things. And then the fourth Wednesday, we have a full team meeting, at which time we are reiterating what happened at the front office meeting. We're reiterating and informing the front office what the clinical team decided, informing the clinical team what the front office decided, and, you know, talking about all the things that are going on. Um, and then starting all over again the next month. So you're, when you say a meeting, you're not talking like a morning huddle. You're talking like this is an hour long no, meeting? No, this is like a two hour meeting. Two so, hour long meeting. Yeah. So we made our clinic a, um, a six hour because we're in California. So we have like the wage and hour law. So we, so we changed our schedule from, we normally see patients from nine to one, have lunch from one to two and then see patients from two to five. Mm -hmm. So we changed it on Wednesdays where we see patients from 12 to five. Mm. And then we have a meeting from nine to 11 and then people that. take lunch from 11 to 12. Oh, okay. And if you're on the, a person on the team that doesn't need to be to this meeting, cause if it's a clinical meeting, your front office doesn't need to be there. Sure. You could be doing other things mm -hmm. that have to do with your job, or you can show up at quarter to 12 for the huddle that we do before we see patients. So I love this. And I, I know I can hear people being like, but wait a minute, that's two hours of patient time you're not seeing or two hours, that's, that's production time. Well, what's the shift been? Because I think it's, we can all talk about excuses of why not to do something when clearly this is working in your office very well. What are some of the results? Just better performance and a happier team. Because uh -huh. I think communication every single time I would have something with my staff that said, what can we do better? Like, what do you guys think we should do better? They always said communicate. Mm -hmm. And I used to get frustrated by that because I'm like, I don't understand what that means. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But what it means is that, you know, they just want to talk. And I don't know, maybe it's a, maybe it's a woman thing. You know, we have an all female practice, but they just want to talk it out. You know, yeah. we call, we're just going to talk it out. Yeah. And in the end, everybody's happy. Everybody's on the same page. Our patients come, they can tell, you know, patients say it all the time. I can just tell that like, you are an unbelievable team. Everybody has a thing awesome. they're doing and they're working together and you, I can just tell you're getting it done. Right. There's, and so, I don't know what that is other than just 
that's what it is. Having dinner together at night. Yeah. It's like a family. Right? Absolutely. It is yeah. a family. It is a relationship. And, uh, you know, I'm going to not let the docs that were just listening to you say, well, maybe it's a female thing. Get away with this because maybe it is a female thing, but I tell you what I know it is. It's a, it's a humanistic thing that we all want to feel connected. And there's, there's three things we all want. I say this all the time, which is we want to know that you see me, that you hear me and what I say matters. And if you can deliver that to your team on a consistent basis that they can rely on and they trust you with, it's going to change everything. So all the docs that are male that are driving in their car right now, listening to that, do not make that excuse of going like, well, I'm not a woman. I can't communicate. Think about this in your own relationship, any relationship you've had, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, the number one complaint for every couple that's having a problem communication. is communication. Yes. And how much happier are they when you just sit with it? And I say they being a man or the woman, we just sit and listen to them. You don't have to have the answer. You can just sit and listen and hopefully find an answer together. But mm -hmm. I think it's brilliant of you. And uh, I, I just kudos all the way around for doing that. That's a great job. And uh, the only other thing I could say about it is I think that especially in this day and age of media and social mm -hmm. media and computers that people are really starving for personal connection. 100%. Your patients are starving for personal connection. Your staff is starving for personal connection. And I know that people will stay in a job that they feel a personal connection to. Yeah. Even if it means that somebody else would offer them more money. Oh, yeah. I, I so many research. So many studies are showing us there's research around this that the number one reason why people leave jobs is because of the lack of appreciation or feeling appreciated. Mm -hmm. And the number one reason they stay is because of the feeling of appreciation of feeling like this is a home that they're, they're safe and secure there. And it's not money. It's never money. It's, it's fascinating the way it goes. Yeah. So here's the thing that I always like to tackle in the show, though, is things that's a what an amazing gift you just gave everybody if they would just take it home and do it and and, and even if you started small like start once a month right it's and we start once a month but take that time and invest that time in your team and in your practice so you can be a better practitioner and your team can be uh better for your uh for your patients and every business has challenges right my business has challenges every business has challenges. what's the what's a challenge that you're facing right now i want to make people feel like you know they're connected to you in some sort in some way what's a challenge that you're facing right now in your practice um dealing with insurance <laughs> that's oh. like a huge challenge mm -hmm. and it's only um i'd say in california it's becoming more and more difficult mm -hmm. to not be uh, PPO provider and I'm not signed up with PPOs mm -hmm. um, and it is um, for you to have any kind of a contract with some, somebody or an insurance provider it, they're just making it more and more difficult for you to do anything so it's mm -hmm. like either be out of network or be a PPO you know and right now you're out of network I'm in network with Delta with one um, because I'm in the state capital and that's sure. the insurance company of the state sure. and employs sure. people, but I'm not a Delta has like different levels. So mm -hmm. I'm not a PPO mm -hmm. um, because I can't afford to do what I do for that fee. Yeah. And um, so 
you know, so it's just, it's only difficult in that I struggle with, oh, am I doing, like, what should I do? Am I doing it right? And, and I'm, you know, should I be PPO? Should I not be PPO? And right now it's just, things are going well by me not doing it. So I'm, and every time I talk to one of my colleagues, they're like, if I could do anything different, I would not be PPO. So I'm just trying yeah. to make it work, but it, it, you know, I, I, I hear that a lot, actually. No, it very is frustrating. And, and I, I hear that because I hear it a lot from a lot of uh, uh, clients. And I, I per this is, uh, and I read this thing, this is just the, the fortune telling according to Dino, it has no bearing on anything. But I think more and more and more is going to move to the fee for service type platform. Uh, because I think insurance companies are going to make that happen. I'm actually always shocked about insurance companies that even offer any type of uh, benefit for orthodontics, especially. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's going to go further and further away um, that I have had a couple of clients who have just said, you know what, forget it. I'm not, if I'm going to give them a discount, I'm giving them the discount. I'm right. not being and forced that's by anybody. What I do. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's been, and, and actually I have a, a doc in Arizona who has increased his business by at least 40% by saying, Nope, we don't accept any insurance and being able to deal with it on his own and decide what he wants to give us the discount. And uh, it's great. It created some really great systems around it, but I hear you. And I think everybody yes. listening to that hears that. Good it's, advice. A, it's a challenge. Well, um, you have been a plethora of knowledge. And one of the things that we do at the end of our show is we ask six questions of everyone who's on the show and it's kind of rapid fire. Uh, what's the top answer you can come up with in your head. Do you want to play? Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. So what is the number one thing that you wish that they taught you back in school? Um, personnel management. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I know everybody says business, you know, but. You're right. Yeah, but. Personality management. Personality management was, uh, one of, it was more of a challenge for me. You know what? I'm going to take a break off of the questions for this moment because I was going to ask you this earlier. Uh, first of all, it is such an honor and I love, and I actually was having this conversation the other day. I want more and more female doctors on the show, right? We have female uh, consultants that come on the show and people have products and stuff like that, but doctors who are actually in the trenches. And I'm going to ask you this question and you can not answer it if you don't want, but I just want to know your perspective because I'm having this conversation more and more with female doctors the challenge of being a female doctor with female team members. Do you feel that there is a difference between what you have to deal with and personality wise and your male colleagues have to deal with? Uh, I, yeah, I definitely think so. Especially being a young female doctor. Uh -huh. I, I don't have that anymore now. And I don't know if it's because I've gotten older or if it's because I've gotten wiser and know how to manage my relationships but when you're a young female doctor more closer in age to the women that you're working with it is they treat you more like a friend yes and i they don't do that to male doctors and so you are used to have being friends with people. And so I found it the most difficult thing is to not to have a relationship with them, but you're not friends. Nope. You're 
you're, I'm your boss or I'm, or I'm a colleague and I work with you if you're an associate or however your relationship is, because that for the most part gets you in a lot of trouble, I think. And, and a lot of gives you a lot more stress than you need to have. A hundred percent. And I thank you for sharing that because the conversation that has come up so much is, is directly that of uh, female doctors who will look at their male colleagues. And uh, for example, I have one who just took over a practice and the male colleague that owned the practice beforehand for all in, for, for lack of a better word was just a jerk, like just a real hard day to everybody, just a jerk. And he has these, these team members that have been with him for like 20, 25 years and they, yep, he's a total jerk and they would just do what he said anyway. But when she came on and she has a, a Navy background of just like kind of get it done and, and a little bit more of a male personality, if you would call it that. Mm-hmm. And yet it's like, Oh, she's being so mean. Ah, oh, she's being mm-hmm. B word. It's like, yeah. wait well, a minute. You think you can boss me around. Well. Right. Right. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute here. So I actually take a lot of, uh, I, I look at that quite a bit and try to see our, how are we having the communication, again, a good part of this theme between them of understanding, yeah, I am going to be friendly with you 100% and I'm your boss. And because I'm acting like a boss, like a boss, not like a man, like a woman, but like a boss, I cannot be held to your, oh, she's being so cranky or rude or whatever standard. So, uh, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Cause I think there's a lot of female doctors who are like, yep, I can totally agree with that. Yeah. That's great. All right. So back to the questions. (laughs) Thank you for that tangent. Mm -hmm. Uh, what is a book that you believe every private practice owner should read to help them in their practice? Uh, fierce conversations by Susan Scott. Have you read that book? I haven't, I haven't read it. I have heard it. It's on my list of things to read. It's amazing. It's amazing. I, I read it and then my, associate became my partner five years ago Uh and it was a book that um i asked her to read before we became partners Mm. and she still talks about it and it's it's um it's very i think especially especially for a woman doctor nice love it well we will put that in the show notes and make sure we put a link to it for sure Uh, Okay, so I talk about a lot in my book, The Practice Rx, and everything that I do from stage and stuff about team culture and team performance Mm -hmm. as the foundation for business growth beyond everything else. What do you see when you talk to your colleagues or even just in your own practice, what do you see are the biggest challenges that private practice owners are facing in their teams and their office culture? The biggest challenge, I, I think the biggest challenge is time and you know, everybody's very busy. Your team is busy with their personal lives and you're busy and you have a family and you're trying to run a business and you're trying to do stuff for your patients. And the time that you need to carve out for, I mean, people talk about, you know, work-life balance. You got to make time to, you know, go to yoga or meditate or whatever it is that you do, right. but time to communicate and mm. connect with your team. Because I, I've heard on your other podcasts, like culture is not, you know, the doctor can't just walk in and say, this is our culture. Our culture. Yeah. <laughs> We're fun. I agree with that 100%. It yeah. doesn't work that way. No. Yeah. And the time is something you have to dedicate to. Like, I love that you are so seeing, number one, the benefits. I, I think it's easier for us to do stuff when we do see the benefits uh, of something where we can talk about the possible benefits and we have the vision of the benefit. 
but that you're willing to dedicate. You're not stealing time. You're not taking time. You're not making up time. You're, and you're not hoping for time to do something. You are committed enough to doing it. And this is the, the part of, uh, I think a lot of people have good intentions, but not always the great commitment and the action right. behind it. You're mm -hmm. dedicating the time to do that and you're seeing the results. That's powerful. Uh, before we go into the next two questions, the, this next question is, if people wanted to reach out to you and just ask you a question, what's a, what's a way that somebody can do that? Uh, my email, it's okay. uh, Dr. Kelly, D-R-K-E-L-Y at sacortho.com. Dr. Kelly at sacortho.com. We'll also have that in the show notes and the link on there as well, for sure. All right. So this is a deeper and, and can be a long uh, question, not question, I guess, a, a deeper question of long uh, thought, if you will. Okay. In your life or business, what's the best advice you've ever received? I don't know who I got it from, um, but I've, it's something that I've always lived out and I thought was good advice. And it's, if you're not making yourself uncomfortable, then you can't grow and you can't Brilliant. succeed. It's brilliant. And so I, especially when I first graduated, I would, I, I'm an introvert at mm -hmm. like, you know, naturally. And so I would force myself every day to do something that made me uncomfortable. And, and I think that it's, you know, it's really important. And it's something that I also tell my team, like, you know, if you're comfortable, we're doing something wrong. Yep. So let's just kind of get comfortable being uncomfortable. So true. It's the only place we grow. It's the only place we learn. We're mm -hmm. only learning when we're uncomfortable. So that's great because we have that I know that attitude if we don't. Yeah. What's the best resource or tool that you have used to grow your practice over the years? Um, I think just study clubs oh. and, um, you know, being involved in study clubs for different reasons with other orthodontists and, um, and local dentists and I probably learned the most just from talking to other people. Again, going back to communication. Yeah. That's great. Well, uh, Dr. Kelly, I am so excited that we were able to have you on the show today because I know if people weren't pulling over and taking notes for some of the things you're talking about, if they're not now thinking, how can they increase their start time, their closings with actually dedicating time to sharpening that saw, then they missed out on the point of this whole show. And I don't think that's what happened. I think that you actually made such yes. a huge impact. And I really, really appreciate it. I know that those listeners uh, are, have too, and they, they are appreciating it right now as they're going back, trying to think of how they can improve their practice. You shared some amazing best practices. Thank you for being vulnerable and telling your story about how you got into this industry. And I'm really glad that you're not out putting little puppies to sleep either. So yeah. that's good. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you again for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Dino. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Your job. Oh, thank you. I have a ton of fun doing it. Well, thank you everybody for listening to the show once again. As we always talk about here on the Propreneur Podcast, our goal is to help you be more proactive, more productive, and profitable in all areas of your life and business. And again, if you got anything out of today's show, make sure you share it with your friends or family or colleagues and subscribe. Thank you again. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks so much again for listening to the Propreneur Podcast. We really appreciate your support. If you haven't subscribed already, please make sure you do so. Also, if you feel like you might be a good fit for our podcast as a guest or know somebody who you think would be, 
go ahead and email us at dino at dinowatt.com. Again, thanks for support. We'll see you on the next episode.